Praise the name of the Lord. Well, saints of God, are you ready for the word? Amen. Let us go to the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 7. The gospel according to Matthew, chapter 7. And today we're going to find our scripture text of emphasis starting at verse 21. The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 7, starting at verse 21, you will find these words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have not, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I want to speak with you for some moments about the idea of the great deception. The great deception. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. For many months and days, we have been diligent in the exposition of the Sermon on the Mount. We have reviewed and we have realized that chapters 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus' greatest sermon and the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. We affectionately call it the Sermon on the Mount. We also realize that it is the manifesto of the King. We have found that Matthew was writing his gospel to portray Jesus as king. So every king has a kingdom. And Jesus is speaking to the multitudes about it, what it means to become a citizen of the kingdom of God. In another place, Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? Jesus said to him, rightly you say he said, but I'm not a king of this world. But my kingdom is not of this world, but it is of another realm. If it had been of this world, then my servants would have not have allowed me to be delivered unto you. 
So Jesus is speaking of a kingdom that's not in this world. And what we have found is that Jesus has outlined what the requirements of the kingdom is. And all of the Sermon on the Mount hinges on chapter 5, verse 20, that says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. I believe that the contemporary church does themselves a disservice by looking at the Pharisees and the scribes always in a negative light. Because if we look at them in a negative light and we dismiss them, then we take light of what they were and what they did accomplish. I must remind you that the Pharisees and the scribes were the creme de la creme of religious authority in Israel. They were the choice men of God that had abilities to, to memorize and to quote and to, at their best, interpret scripture when the multitudes were confused. We must remember that it was the scribes and the Pharisees who by memory had all 613 laws and they could quote them from memory. When the multitudes were having a hard time learning six, more or less, 600, these outstanding men were able to learn 613 and have them by memory. They were also the authorities in which the people came to in order to get the interpretation of Scripture. So by all man's standards, they were the best. There were no men in all of Israel who understood the word better than the scribes and the Pharisees. So when we look at them in that light, when you hear the words that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, there comes a problem. Because nobody did the work of man's work of trying to please God better than they did. So if anybody was trying to follow in their footsteps, they were always being found short. They were a little step too late. But praise be to God, Jesus comes on the scene as king and he begins to expound on what it really means to be a kingdom citizen. He tears down their man-made religion and their man-made requirements that will get them into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, after they have done all that they have done, you must exceed it if you're coming into the kingdom of God. So we have summed up chapter 7 thus far as stop criticizing and start loving. Then Jesus makes the plea for us to keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. Keep asking him for entrance into the kingdom of God. Keep seeking him 
for the ability to get in and keep knocking on him for he is the door. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. There's not multiple ways to heaven. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. And so as we get ready to deal with verses 21 through 23, we must understand what the great deception really is. The great deception starts in verse 13 when it says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. I want you to realize that the two gates are much like one another when you look at the signs. These two gates are not gates of unrighteousness on one and all kinds of sins on that Broadway and the other gate is the gate of righteousness. But both gates say this way to heaven. Neither one of them say this way to hell. Then it wouldn't be a great deception, would it? But both ways, the broad and the narrow way, both claim to get you to the kingdom of God. That's the great deception is that Satan wants you to believe that there's a broad way and many will be able to get on board and go right in. All I got to do is give the preacher my hand and give God my heart, but then go on back out and do things the way I've always done them. All I got to do is get my name on the road. But Jesus says in verse 14, he says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. True salvation is not for the masses. That's what makes this a great deception is because we're on our way to heaven anyhow. The more I read this passage and the more I look at this text, it becomes crystal clear that the way to the kingdom of God is not easy. You can't just get your name on a church roll and live your life any way you want to live it and get in the kingdom of God. You can't just go to Jesus and say, hey, you know, I, I went to New Zion Missionary Baptist Church. Hey, Amen. I, I went two or three, maybe four Sundays even a month. Hey, Amen. I went to Bible study in Sunday school. But what did you do with what God gave you? What, what did you do with his commandments when he said, to feed the least of these. What, what did you do in your missional work? Did you help anybody? 
Did you, did, you feed the, did you feed those who were hungry? Did you give water to those who were thirsty? Did you lift up a bow down head? Did you, did you reach out to those who were disenfranchised and marginalized and dejected? Did you visit those in nursing homes? Did you, did you go to the prisons and, and visit those who were incarcerated? Did you go out into the world and did you talk to those who didn't know him in the pardon of their sins? What did you do with the will of the Father? What did you do with the will of the Father when he said, bear one another's burdens? Did you snicker behind your brother's back when they were going through tough times and said, that's what they get? Did you look upon somebody who was struggling as a Christian and said, well, God can take care of it, but I'm going to go my way? No, God has called us to bear one another's burdens. So at the end of the day, when we look at the inventory of our lives, what did we do with the will of God that has expressly been given to us? Difficult is the way. Difficult is the way because you must strive to enter in. The word strive has the connotation, has the, the, the emphasis on agony. Just like an athlete may strive to win a race, he's given everything he's got and he's becoming sore in his body trying to stretch and to pull and to reach his goal. God is looking for that in the Christian. He's looking for us to strive to enter the narrow way. Not to just take lightly this wonderful gift of salvation that God has given and just to kind of put it on the side while we live our life hoping that at the end of our life after we've done all of what we wanted to do we can pick up salvation and scurry right on in. That's the great deception. And the great deception goes on because the church has a problem that precipitates this great deception. And that's found in verse 15 through 20. And that is, there are false prophets. There are folks that want to tell you that getting into heaven is easy. Just name the name Jesus. Just, just believe that God died and he was buried and he was raised from the grave. Just believe that. But is that real faith? James said, faith without works is dead. You can have a sad faith, but not a real faith. Does Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross make you do something? Does it make you start to live better? Does it make you start to have compassion on other people? Until that happens, we're not doing the will of the Father. Jesus at one point said, who are my brothers, my sister, my mother? They are those who do the will of the Father. The will of the Father is missional. Jesus Christ gave the greatest example that he was always on the move looking to help somebody. He was always on the move to heal the sick and to, to raise the dead. He was giving sight to the blind. He was giving hearing to the deaf and he was giving speech to the dumb. He was giving food to those who were hungry. He was giving water to those who were thirsty. Amen. So if we're going to live out the will of the master, we've got to get about that business. 
And it's not going to be easy because difficult is the way. We discussed that this narrow way can be seen like a turnstile. Any of us who have ever been through a turnstile realizes when you go through that turnstile, you can't take nothing with you. If you try to take your baggage with you, it gets caught all up in the bars. Your baggage must go another way. But you must take this voyage alone. You can't take this voyage on your grandmother's faith, on your granddaddy's faith, your mother, your daddy's faith, your sisters or your brothers, your church members. You must make this trek alone. Difficult is the way. And few find it. Few find it because people want to put Jesus plus something else. They want to put Jesus plus church members here. Jesus plus some good works. But the reality of it all is it comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. And Jesus is looking for us to sell out. Amen. For him because he sold out for us. Amen. He left his place in glory and came down, put on a body of flesh and died for you and me. The Bible said God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, he died. The great deception, easy believism, the masses is going to heaven. Jesus says that's a lie from the pit of hell because only few will find it. So it is for us to hear these words and have an introspective of our own lives and say, how does my life look up beside the will of God? Has my profession of faith really resulted in a changed life? Am I living any different than I did before I professed Jesus Christ? Am I doing any more for the Lord? Have I got a zeal and compassion for souls now that I didn't have before? If I look at my life like that and I look at my inventory and I don't see it's right, it's a good time to go back to the Lord. It's a good time to go back and ask the Lord for entrance into the kingdom of God. To seek the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. Knock on the door whose the door is Jesus and let him in your life. So that you can walk in by the narrow gate. When we look at our text, we realize that the first set of deceivers in the great deception is false prophets. Pastors and preachers and other leaders and teachers who are teaching easy believism. They're saying peace when judgment is on its way. They're saying have your best life now and God never said that we're going to have our best life now here. But our best life is to come. In this life you shall have trials and tribulations. But he said be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. We are looking for a home not made with hands. We're looking for a new Jerusalem coming down from the Father of lights. We're looking for a new heaven and a new earth. So the deceivers, the false prophets, amen, they are out to get you on the broad road that leads to destruction. Remember I told you that these wolves are not around to play patty cake, but they're out to kill you. And they don't just want to kill you for a little while. They want to kill you forever. Narrow is the way. 
Broad is the way and many will go by it. But narrow is the way and few will find passage into the kingdom of God. So our first enemy is the false prophets. Amen. And our second enemy is our own false beliefs. Let's look at the text. Verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying, you can say with your mouth that I'm your Lord, but that's not good enough. He's saying here, the text says, in the Greek it says, kurios, says master. They, they are even talking in the language that's religiously sound, but they've got something that's missing. So we got those who, who are saying I'm blessed and highly favored and that uh, the Lord is the Lord of my life and he's first in my life and, and he's everything to me. They are saying these words, but there's something missing. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So we must focus on what is the missing piece. The missing piece is doing the will of the Father. Jesus Christ on multiple occasions has let us know what the will of the Father is. We found that the will of the Father is doing the mission work. It's not just coming to church Sunday after Sunday, Bible study and Sunday school. That's all good because it's good because it builds a foundation by which you can go out into ministry. If you don't know nothing, you can't do nothing. Amen. So you got to first start there. And so if you miss Bible study and Sunday school and service, then there's no way you can go to the mission field because you don't have anything in you. How are you going to go on a mission without a message? Amen. And that's what Bible study, Sunday school, and service is all about, getting the word in you that you have a message to go out into the world with. Amen. And it's by the word of God that we are strengthened and we are able to do what the master tells us to do. How are we going to know what the will of God is if we don't know what the word of God is? The great deception. The great deception is those who thought it was just good enough to say, Lord, Lord. They thought it was good enough to have a profession but not a changed heart. They thought it was good enough to look churchy to do some churchy things but not have the heart of the master. Not really do the will of God. And saints, I, I want you to take note of something here today. When Jesus walked the dusty streets of Jerusalem, he didn't spend a whole lot of time at the synagogue. He was at the synagogue on the Sabbath. 
But most of his time was spent going from village to village, going from tax collector to publican. As the scribes and Pharisees said, he hung out with sinners. Jesus was all about getting into the muck and the mire of things. He was about getting down and getting his hands dirty because he realized that he had a little while, amen, on this earth and he had some work to do. Jesus is our example. And until we get our hands dirty in the muck and mire of the ministry, then we are not doing the master's will. If we're coming into our comfortable churches and being around our comfortable people who think like us and talk like us, then we have missed the mark if that's all we're doing. Jesus had three of 12 disciples, amen, that spent the most time with him, but he had 12 that followed with him. And everywhere he was going, Jesus was going where the trouble is. Jesus wasn't trying to find out where to go where there was peace, but he was going to where there was trouble. Because it is where the trouble is, is where God needs to be. Amen. And so since God not dwells in you and me, then we've got to take God to where the trouble is. Because the trouble is not coming to us. Amen. These doors are not going to bust open and sinners from everywhere are just going to start rolling in this building. It's not going to happen. We must go out into the world. We must go out into the world and touch hearts where they are. If Jesus didn't have thrones coming to him until he went to them, how do we think it's going to be any different for us? The great deception. When we look at our text, we see many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I looked at that text, I had a real problem. Because I'm saying, there's these folks who are calling God Lord, and they are casting out demons. They're, they're doing these things that are gifts from God. Until I saw the scripture text that says that gifts are without repentance. Did I understand now how a person could do all of these things and still miss the kingdom of God? There is a story in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers, chapters 22 to 25. It talks about a prophet. And that prophet's name is Balaam. He was a true prophet. He had prophetic words that God put in his mouth. But the Bible says he was unrighteous. He was greedy. He was covetous. And he was out for hire. Balak, the king of Moab, hired Balaam to curse Israel. He was gifted, but he wasn't right with the Lord. So just because a person is gifted does not mean they're children of God. The great deception. You don't want to just look at how charismatic a person is, 
or how well and articulate they are to determine whether or not they're children of God, you've got to watch their works. Not just the works that are spectacular, but how do they bear one another's burdens? How do they love one another? How do they really reach out with compassion for those who need compassion? The will of the Father. You can get tricked up in this thing by watching folks in the limelight. The idea behind this is these folks who are just like some of the televangelists that they want to heal on TV, but they don't want to heal in the back alley. Huh? They want to heal on TV, but they don't want to heal on the dusty streets. They want to heal where that all the visitors over the television waves can see them, and then they can call for a money call, and folks give, give, give. They want to do everything in the limelight, but they don't want to do it in the dark. Jesus is calling out that, and he's saying it is a deception. Be careful and beware of those who will deceive you. Even though they've said, Lord, Lord, and even though these acts are looking like they're acts from God, amen, they are unrighteous and they are not of mine. And so saints of God, today we see that Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There is a potential in every church that only a small portion of that congregation could actually enter the kingdom of God. It is my hope and my prayer that it's not that way here at New Zion. I have to deal with my own soul salvation. I have to look at these same scriptures and I have to look at my life and say, how do, does my life and my actions line up with this scripture? Am I living the will of God or am I just giving lip service? Am I just going to church and am I just doing things in the light, but I'm not caring for folks in the dark? In the late night hours on the job or on the streets of the city, do I not care about folks when I'm at the grocery store, amen, at the clothing store? Am I just caring when everything is perfect, when everybody is watching whom I think can do something for me? We, we must make sure that our life lines up with Scripture, saints of God, and that our light so shines that men might know the realities of serving a true and living God. Because as I said earlier, when we look at the master, Jesus, when he came down through the 40 and two generations, he walked the dusty streets of Jerusalem. He was healing the sick and raising the dead. He was giving sight to the blind. He was giving speech to the dumb and hearing to the deaf. But he wasn't just doing it so that other folks could say, ooh and ah. But it's because he had a heart for people. He had compassion for souls. We must ask the question, do we have compassion for souls? Or are we just going through the motions? Amen. But the good news today is that 
we can enter the narrow way. Because there's one who has already made the course straight. And his name is Jesus. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. He who knew no sin, who became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. That same Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. Praying for you and for me all night long. The Bible says that as he prayed, his sweat was like drops of blood in anguish for what was to come. In the garden, Jesus said, if there's any other way, Father, but not my will, but thy will be done. And I'm so glad that Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. The Bible says that the Roman gods came and got him and took him to kangaroo courts, took him to Anna's and then to Caiaphas, from Caiaphas to the Sanhedrin, from the Sanhedrin to Pilate, from Pilate to Herod, from Herod back to Pilate. They marched him from Judgment Hall to Judgment Hall for me and for you. But the Bible says that he didn't say a mumbling word. They whipped my Jesus all night long. And they marched him down the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering, to outside the camp. Outside the camp called God of his hill, the hill of the soul. My Jesus and your Jesus, they put nails in his hands and they put nails in his feet. They lifted him up and dropped him down. They made a mistake for the Bible says if I
Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, He's given His life for you. The Father gave His Son for you. It won't cost you nothing, but salvation is not cheap. Come to the Lord today, for He is worth You can get your life right today. Come to the Lord today.
Lord, because we don't want to be left behind. When that old ship of Zion casts off, we don't want to be stuck back trying to get through the turnstile. Lord, so help us learn to wholly depend on you, Master, for our every need. Not to pick up you and some good works, you and some religion, but wholly trust in your blood and wholly trust in your sacrifice. Master, we can't do this on our own. Lord, we can't have the heart for ministry unless you give it to us, Master. So, Master, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I'm asking, Lord, that you bless us, oh God. That you encourage our hearts, Master, to serve thee. Lord, we love you so much because you first loved us. And, Master, in the name of Jesus, as we prepare our hearts to give, Lord, I ask that you use this offering, Master, for kingdom building. Lord, touch the hearts of those who will have to manage it, O oh God, so that they may know your will as well. Lord, we want to lift you up because you're worthy to be praised. And one of these days, Master, we're going to see you face to face. Lord, we're going to see you in all your glory and see that beautiful train that fills the temple. And Lord, until that day, Lord, help us to be real soldiers on the battlefield for you, O oh Lord. Lord, we ask these things in the blessed name of Jesus. And Lord, as we go from this place to our prospective homes and other destinations, Lord, continue to put your holy heads of protection around us and keep us from all hurt, harm, and danger. These things we ask in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. And the whole church sang. Amen. Please be seated and obey the ushers. Amen. Amen.